Hello, and welcome to the Be Brave podcast series. In this series, our host, Allison Pickens, Chief Operating Officer at Gainsight, interviews heroes from around our community, such as servant leaders who are paving the way for others through their action and mentorship, voyagers who have decided to take a leap of faith and help pave the way for others through their actions and decisions, and reformers who will share their stories of reformation both in their company and communities and provide useful tips on how you can face adversity head on. In this episode, Allison sits down with the founders of Jane VC, a venture capitalist fund committed to investing in early stage startups with at least one female founder. Let's find out how they're challenging the status quo. Adventure capital, one company at a time. Jenimar, and thank you so much for joining us um, on the Be Brave campaign today. I really appreciate it. Thank Thanks you for having us. So I have been looking forward to having this conversation for a really long time. Um, we started chatting actually, I think back in the fall, summer or fall, about what you were up to with Jane VC. And so I'm really excited also for um, the audience to learn a little bit about what you guys are doing. Um, would you mind just you know, at the start describing uh, what is Jane VC? Jane VC is an early stage fund to invest in visionary female founders. So we're investing in women who have deep experience in the tech world, who have big, bold ideas to change the world, and who really have unique insights about the market that they're working in. Um, and we are working to provide the early stage capital and then also all of the mentorship and support that these women need to go out and build big, successful, valuable companies. It's a big ambition, big vision, which I think is awesome. Um, now, Mara, from your perspective, why is this an important pain point that we should be solving. So I think we've all heard the stats that women get 2% of venture funding. Um, Jen and I met at business school at Stanford actually over a decade ago, and uh, the two of us, um, we saw this dynamic with our classmates where even in business school, the men were investing in each other, they were you know, throwing money into just ideas, no questions asked, um, and the women weren't, and we were, we noticed that dynamic then. There was this, just wasn't this social norm to, to give money and to ask for money. And, and then we've seen that play out over the past 10 years since business school. Yeah, and have, have, have you noticed a difference in terms of the entrepreneurial trajectories that men and women have taken after business school? Yes, definitely. So, um, we, I mean, we've seen men and women in our class build really big businesses. So I think we know that the, the potential is there for women to build these businesses, but we felt like there was this gap in terms of getting that early stage funding. Um, so it's, I think, something that we've been thinking about for a long time. And um, and then with over the past year, with all the attention and media around the issue, we started to feel like the, the, you know, the time is really right for us to do something positive, action-oriented, and solve this problem together. Absolutely. Um, and Jen, from your perspective, um, what was it about your, your background and your personal experiences that you know, made this um, personally important to you to start JVC? Yeah, so I think the first piece was living this. As Marin said, we noticed this when we were in business school and it just kept playing out and we realized that the patterns that each of us had seen in our own lives were really a microcosm for what was going on in the larger tech and venture worlds. Um, but what's interesting, I think, about the partnership that Marin and I have is that in the decade between business school and now, we, we experience these 
issues from both sides of the cap table. So after business school, Marin started, scaled, and sold a company. And I had started a, a venture fund to focus on software um, startups in the Midwest. And so we saw this from both sides and really came at this to say, you know, how do we not just think about this issue and sort of complain about the lack of funding that women have, but how do we actually take action to solve it? Um, you know, and I think the other thing that you know we often don't talk about is the fact that we are women. And so as women, we who have been through this ourselves, we are uniquely positioned to support the female founders that we're working with. Awesome. Martin, tell me about um, about your entrepreneurial path. It sounds like um, you had a lot of success in building this company. I'd love to learn a little bit more about what you did. Yeah, so um, so my experience is I was an operator at a number of tech companies in the Bay Area, um, marketing, sales, strategy type of roles, and then I was an entrepreneur and I raised capital and scaled a business and had that amazing but you know lots of ups and downs with being a founder and I um, you know have been in a found, uh, the founder's shoes recently and and know what it's like to go out and raise capital and um, and so I think I I saw the problem firsthand with myself and the other entrepreneurs in my network and. Felt like it was a problem I really wanted to solve. Awesome. What challenges do you think uh, women entrepreneurs specifically encounter when they go through the fundraising process? I think for the fundraising process, so part of it is networks, and I think you know if you if you have the introductions and the access to the network of venture capitalists, it makes it a lot easier. Um, part of it is having the network of other entrepreneurs and people that can guide you and support you and give you the advice that you need. Um, so I think. I think those are really important pieces in it. Yeah, got it. And so it sounds like you all are sort of building up this network of, of female entrepreneurs yeah. who you can you know, connect with your own capital that you've sourced and also probably connect with each other um, to benefit from each other's experiences. Is that kind of the idea? Exactly. Yeah. So, um, so we have um, a lot of female and male LPs in our fund. Um, a lot of them are operators and investors and have you know, been in the shoes of, of what these entrepreneurs are doing. Um, and, and I think having that network of people that you can tap into for advice and support is, is really powerful and something that a lot of our founders are, are asking for. Awesome. And as we have thought about how to design you know, Jane VC, um, one of the things that we've tried to be really deliberate about are our values. Um, and you know we're we truly believe that the next generation of entrepreneurs is going to look fundamentally different than the past, and that there's not a one size fits all model for a venture, um, and and particularly to serve these um, emerging founders and a more diverse set of founders. And so we've thought a lot about our values and and how that translates to being able to best support these founders. And three sort of fundamental values is you know one believing in in the power of female entrepreneurs and the untapped opportunity that they represent and um, this real capital inefficiency that we're going after. The second is about accessibility and transparency. And the VC world is not particularly known for being accessible or transparent. Um, and that really hasn't served female founders well. So if you think about one of the first questions in fundraising, um, if you're going out to, to meet with uh, with sources of capital is you know the introduction, right? And more often than not, that means getting an introduction from someone who has made that VC a lot of money. And that's traditionally a man. 
um, that doesn't serve female founders. And so one of the things that we've done is scrap the, the warm intro. And we're open to female founders reaching out to us wherever they are, whether they know us or not, whether they have this amazing connected network or whether they don't know anyone in venture. Um, and we'll respond to them. Um, and so that's, that's a key piece of what we're doing. And then the third value is really around um, geographic reach. So we believe that being a great entrepreneur is not a geographic distinction. Um, and it's never been easier for people who live across the globe to tap into that Silicon Valley mindset. And we're committed to looking for the best female founders wherever they may be, whether they're here in San Francisco, whether they're in Mexico City, whether they're in London or in Cleveland in the Midwest. Now, now you'd think that um, because you guys are uh, casting the net wider, there are probably some opportunities to invest that you're finding that, that other perhaps more traditional VCs are not encountering or perhaps not best positioned to uh, capitalize on. What, what are some examples of investment opportunities that you've been able to uniquely source um, um, for JMVC? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that question because Maren and I love talking about the companies that we invest in. That's our favorite thing to do. Um, so I am located in the Midwest. I'm in Cleveland. Um, I move from the Bay Area to the to Cleveland, which is not a move that most people make. Um, but what it highlights is really that we have these networks to differentially source entrepreneurs who aren't in San Francisco and New York and sort of the, the tech hubs that most VCs focus on. And one of our first investments was a company called Proformex that's located in in Cleveland. Um, it's a woman that I met early on after I moved to Cleveland. She is, she has worked um, at a number of different startups and led them from, you know, single digit, you know, sales to hundreds of million dollars in sales, has exits. Um, and this was her first role being a CEO. And um, I had met her years ago and said, like, whenever you're in that position, I want to invest. Um, and that really, I think, speaks to what we're trying to do with Jane is these women who we fundamentally believe in who, you know, she's not tapped into the Silicon Valley network, but she is one of the best, most amazing women um, who's incredibly fundable. So we invested in her. The company, um, frankly, their demand is outstripping their, their capacity right now, and they're leaning on their investors to really help support them so that they can scale sort of every right problem that you want to have in a venture-backed startup. Um, and what we're doing is actually starting to plug them into the Silicon Valley network so that they can raise capital from, you know, the investors who help take them to the next level and continue that growth trajectory and hopefully be one of the great success stories of tech in the Midwest. And, you know, building on this, do you think that there are some industries that are actually undercapitalized, um, you know, not receiving enough investment because most VCs don't perceive there to be opportunity there when actually um, there is? Definitely. I think there's there are, are definitely opportunities that are overlooked just because there's such a homogenous group of people making the investment decisions now. And that's a big part of, I think, what we're doing with Jane is trying to have a more diverse set of people making those decisions. Um, so one of the other companies that, that we invested in is actually a woman who is a serial entrepreneur. She's had two past exits. Um, she's in the AI space, and she, so she's, she's very ex experienced in that area. And she's solving the problem of the 20 hours a week spent managing a household. Mm. So it's a problem that's not on most VCs' radar. Um, and she said, you know, when she was pitching VCs, a lot of them would say, my wife does that. 
Yeah, yeah. So that's one that really resonated with us. She's usually using deep AI to um, to really understand human sentiment and and understand what people are, what their goals are, what their intentions are, and help them make a lot of those little household decisions that end up taking up a lot of time and mental energy. Yeah, so that got us really excited using that technology to solve a problem that that we really understood. It's a great example. And I think as we think about industries, um, one of the places, there's sort of a general theme um, around really businesses for the rest of the country, for the rest of us. Um, You know, not sort of the myopic, you know, valet parking services that, you know, there's a lot of. being where we are located and sort of with the geographic lens that we're taking, we're really focused not only on entrepreneurs wherever they are, but consumers and customers wherever they are. And so one of the the theses that we have is there's a real opportunity to apply evolutionary technology. So not, you know, sort of frontier technology, but take that evolutionary technology that's been proven in other industries and apply it to more traditional industries, um, or apply it to customers who live in the Midwest and live in the South and frankly have been somewhat ignored by the first wave of innovation in a lot of industries. Um, and so it's you know not necessarily the sexy innovations that get you know front page in, in TechCrunch, but frankly, it's where we see a ton of opportunity and a lot of dollars Um, So that's one of the areas that we're focused on. We're also focused on some consumer and customer groups who have been um, largely, you know, not looked at by by tech. So, you know, sort of the, the aging boomer woman who, frankly, controls a lot of the purse strings and a lot of the spending power and has some really specific and unique needs, but has aged out of that group that traditional tech has focused on. Or the emerging needs of Gen Z. Um, and really figuring out what solutions are going to resonate with them and can build loyalty as they start to age into really having um, consumer spending power. Got it. Um, shifting gear a little bit, I think it takes a lot of bravery, right? Like going back to sort of the, the theme behind this, um, this video series, it takes a lot of bravery to say, I don't think that the current system is working and I'm going to start this initiative, um, this company actually, mm-hmm. to help fix the problem. Um, what were the obstacles that you encountered um, in trying to start Jane BC? And then we can start with you and then go to Marin. Yeah, so Marin and I took a bit of an unconventional approach to starting a venture fund. Um, if you look at most of the people who are going out and starting their own fund, they've spent 10 to 15 years at a top tier VC fund and then are going out on their own. Um, And that approach works for a lot of people, but that approach takes a lot of time, right? It's 10 to 15 years of working under someone else, and then you finally leave to be able to make the investment decisions. And, you know, I think as we communicated earlier, Mara and I have a bias for action. And we saw this moment um, and felt like we didn't want to wait 15 years to be able to have to be able to influence the change that we want to see. And so we decided to go out and do it on our own. Um, And we believe that our experience and our networks and our pattern recognition is all the stuff that we need to be, to be all the stuff we need to have to be successful. But it is 
you know, we're jumping off and starting something ourselves. We like to say that we are very much a startup um, and can really relate to the journey that our founders are on because we're out raising money, we're out establishing our product, we're out finding our customers who are the entrepreneurs in the market. And we feel really good about the way that that's resonating and the foundation that we've built. But we're at the beginning of this journey and so it's still very much unfolding and there, you know, it's going to be hard. Anything that's worth doing is going to be hard. Um, so, so you know, but that's that's the path that we're on, and we believe so strongly in the vision that we're shooting for that we're motivated to just go out and assume that risk and do it ourselves. I really appreciated that you said this is hard. It's hard to start something, right? Because I think so often founders are like, it's effortless. My company's doing great, right? And we all know that there are actually there's a roller coaster involved in you know getting on that curve that's up and to the right. Um, I imagine you probably receive feedback from people that says like, you guys are changing the world. This is amazing. Amazing, so inspire what you're doing about what you're doing. I imagine also you've received some feedback that may not be as positive, which I think is true for any startup. Um, I'd love it if you could talk about like perhaps like generally feedback that you've received on both sides and um, in those times when the feedback is not as positive, how do you receive it in a way that doesn't discourage you? Yes, that's a great question. Um, when we were first starting, Jane, I think you know Jen and I believe so strongly in this mission that we you know are just let's go for it. We've got to do this. Um, and I remember when I sat down, I was telling my parents about what we were working on, and I was describing the mission and this you know exciting fund where we're starting to invest in female-led startups. My my father actually said, "Is this really a problem?" <laughs> Yeah, and then, yeah. And then his, his next question was, is this a business or is this a charity? Mm. And it was really fascinating because I think most people probably wouldn't have said that to our face. Um, but Being since, your father. But since you know, my father, well. he was yeah. genuinely interested and wanted to know, you know, what, what were we doing? And I think it was a really helpful conversation because we realized that we do need to to make the point that women are an underserved investment opportunity, we, th- we think it's an opportunity, it's not a charity. Yeah, and because um, there are organizations out there that, that give grants to women-led businesses, right? And I think you're seeing this as an opportunity to actually make money while doing good. Is that exactly, right? yeah. exactly. So I think um, I think just making uh, making the case for what a big opportunity this is and, and the fact that we're excited to attack it is important. And I think, you know, we're realistic that our vision is not going to resonate with everyone. Um, When we were going out last year to, you know, get Jane off the ground, we were very much selling something that was coming in the future, right? And there were a lot of people who said, you know, either they didn't believe in the investment thesis or, oh, yeah, this is great, but are you actually going to go out and execute on it? Um, And so we had to have thick skin about it. Um, But that really became then motivation for what we're doing now. And so what we're finding a year in, going back to those same people saying, you know, yeah, you you sort of gave us a lukewarm response or you told us we couldn't do it or whatever it was, we're going back to say, we raised a fund, we established a brand, we've made seven investments, it's resonating in the market, and they're sitting up and taking notice. So I think for anyone who's going out and starting something new and taking those risks, realizing that you know, people won't say yes the first time, um, or they may not say yes the first time, but if you can go back and show that you've not only said you were going to, you know, done what you said you were going to do, but exceeded that, that that proof is really powerful. And so we've been converting some people who were initially skeptical because we've been able to execute on our vision. 
And so, you know, when you think about the culmination of that vision, what to you would indicate that this this startup that you started has been successful? We could, we could start with you or Jen. Yeah. Sure. So we have a big vision for what we want to achieve with Jane. And if you look at the leadership of not just tech, but of the business world and and the world in general, I mean, it's, it's really men running the show. And I think we really want to see a world where it's much more equal and women have an equal seat at the table where women are, um, are benefiting from... Um, from the success of technology businesses, where women are in leadership positions in tech, where they're in equal investing positions, and we think that this is going to create a world a world that's more innovative and really a place where we want our kids to, to grow up. Yeah, and you know, we, as Marin said, so much of tech is shaping what the world looks like, and we fundamentally believe that we need to have a diverse set of viewpoints that are influencing what that tech and future world looks like. And so while we are exclusively focused on female founders, we are focused on female founders, you know, a whole range of female founders, both, you know, different ages, races, geographies, ethnicities. Um, And so really want to emphasize that because we're working, you know, we're, we're looking for a wide cast of female founders and also hope that what we're doing fits into a broader movement of diversity in general, right? So if we are successful, we're inspiring other people to go out and fund diverse founders in other ways um, and really leading to um, a, a sort of tech leadership and world leadership that looks much different. You know, it's interesting. I, I'm reminded of um, a moment that I had in college, actually. So in college, um, I started a women's leadership initiative with um, a few classmates. And uh, there was a moment early in our, our um, sort of life cycle as, a, as an organization where someone posed the question, uh, or, or posed the statement rather, we will have been successful if 10 or 20 years from now, this women's organization no longer needs to exist. Because it would have signified that actually the, the world out there is fair and just and, and doesn't require this kind of advocacy. Um, and actually, there was a lot of discussion about that. Some people said, no, there should always be a women's leadership organization. Some people said, no, actually, everyone should just be all integrated together. Um, what's your take on that from a VC perspective? So playing this out, like if you know, current VCs evolved so that they had many female partners, not as female, but like diverse partners, mm-hmm. um, you know, and they were, they were investing you know, fairly, whatever that means, like across the set of opportunities, like would, would that be success? Or, or do you think organizations like JNVC should always exist? It's a tough question. Yeah. yeah. In my mind, if we if we reach that point of not needing Jane, that's a huge success. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's a bit hard to envision because we're so far from that right now. Yeah. But yeah, I think you know this isn't about like the ego of Jane VC. It's really about the opportunity that we see and, and and the vision that we're working towards. So it does feel like success if suddenly all funds across the board are you know have a similar lens with which they're viewing you know funding founders. You know it's interesting. There's um there's a, a two by two um that folks talk about. I think it was in the book um, Zero to One. Maybe you read it, uh, where it's uh, it talks about investing opportunities, and there's one axis with axis which is right or wrong, and then there's another axis which is consensus non-consensus. And the idea there is that if you're a strong investor, you should be investing in the buckets that that's uh, it's a correct thesis on the market 
um, and it's also non-consensus in that no one agrees with you that it's the right thesis, right? Then you've got sort of this like unique opportunity. Um, and it strikes me how right now you're in this position where are arguably like your thesis is correct, right? There are investment opportunities out there that are not being funded, um, but also not everyone agrees with you, right? Because if everyone did agree, there, I think as you're implying, like there maybe wouldn't be as strong a need for this. So perhaps like as your thesis becomes consensus, then you'll say, well, like we'll move on to the next opportunity, right? Because like we sort of fulfilled the vision here. Yeah, um, and I think another key part of success is having female role models that women can point to, right? And that's, you know, the broader point is a diverse set of role models that that people can look to. But, you know, so much of life and particularly the business that we're in is seeing people who look, feel, sound, act like you doing what you are aspiring to do. And I think for so long, the tech world has lacked a broad set of female role models. And really, you know, if you think about it, many um, male leaders in tech are household names, but very few women are. Um, and so what, you know, Mar and I are excited for is that day when it's not just the two to three women that people keep talking about, it's the 20 to 50 to hundreds that women of all ages are aspiring to be or work with or collaborate with. Um, and I think that's when we know that things will have changed. I love that's an amazing note to end on. Be brave, take that risk. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. This was awesome. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Be Brave series. If you want to hear more stories from influential heroes from around our community, be sure to check out www.bebravetogether.com. Until next time, this has been the Be Brave podcast series with your host, Allison Pickens. See you on the next one.